My name's Connie Downey, and I've been coming to the chapel for about eight years. In May, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. The day that I found out, I had an, e an evening meeting with Laura Ancrum. And I stayed after because I knew that she had just gone through this. And uh, she shared her story and uh, immediately got a meal train together. And I, we had meals the first uh, seven days after the surgery. And that was extraordinary. Some, po some people that gave us meals visited with us that day and that was nice. And then other people dropped in and I got lots of cards and texts and phone calls. And most of all, I got lots of prayers. My Sunday school class, they were prayer warriors. For me, I just received a phone call this week from someone who was going to begin radiation. And so I felt like this is wonderful. You know, what's been given to me, I can give, but choose to find a way to connect. And you'll be amazed at what God will do with you, with those around you. And um, it's just, it's part of that abundant joy. So someone has said, there is nothing that works quite like the church when the church is working right. And we love the stories of when the church is working right, and that's one of them. With Connie and Paul Downing, uh, the church rallied around them, meals were provided, prayers were given, support was there, a time when the church was working right. The backstory of that is they were involved, they were connected, they were involved in the ABF class, uh, they were involved in other ministries, and so when there was a need in their life, they had served many people along the way, and so people stepped up and served them. Whoever you are and wherever you are, there's going to be a time in life when you need someone to, to step up and help you. There's nothing like the church when the church is working right. But let's be honest. Doesn't always work right, does it? And you may be here, and you may be saying, you know what? It's not my story. I kind of fell through the cracks. When I needed support, it, it wasn't there. The church hasn't worked right for me. In fact, that's why I'm here at the Bible Chapel. The last church I was in, it didn't work out. And I promise you this, there are people who are not here today. There are other churches who would say the same about us. When the church doesn't work right, we all suffer, and the kingdom suffers. So, so what are the things we need to remind ourselves of? What are the essentials that we need to think about? What are the things we need to go back to and strive for, never going to be perfect, always going to have times when something messes up? Things that we missed when we missed the mark. What do we return to? Where do we get refreshed in, in this, this idea, this, this concept, this, this movement called the body of Christ? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let me set the context. Jesus' earthly ministry was over. He had gone to the cross he had ascended, he had appeared to the believers, he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, 
And in Acts chapter 2, the church began. The church began right there in Jerusalem. And Peter church, uh, uh, preached the first message filled with the Holy Spirit. These men who had, who had cowered in fear now stood up boldly for Jesus Christ. And Scripture tells us that 3,000 people were added to the church that first day. 3,000 people responded to the message. Luke, who writes the book of Acts, gives reports about the church throughout his book. And his very first report about the church is recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. What I want to do today is to read that passage and then find the essentials of that early church. What were they striving for? What was, what was happening in the early church that needs to be happening not only in us individually, because we are the church individually, but what happens uh, as a collective group of believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let me read through this, and we'll, then we'll go through the passage. They devoted themselves, these new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet uh, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's look through this passage, and it begins in verse 42 by saying these new believers devoted themselves. I love that word devoted because it means to continue to do something with intense effort. It means to keep at it. It means not to stop. It means to persist. When you devote yourself to something, you don't quit. You don't take a break and you don't stand on the sidelines. You are in it and you are in it for keeps. When you devote yourself, you are in the game. You are participating. You are not just standing around watching other people do all the work. And these early believers said, we want in the game. We love Jesus Christ so much. We are so thankful for what he has done for us. We cannot stand on the sidelines. They devoted. Who they devote? You can't devote somebody else, can you? They devoted themselves. There was in their heart a desire. There was in their heart a passion. They were ignited to do something for Jesus Christ. They were not willing to let the light that was in them go out. They were not willing to hide the light that Christ had put in them. They wanted to get some stuff done. And so they devoted themselves. And we see in this passage, they devoted themselves to five Things. We call these the five essentials. These are the things that make up a healthy believer's life, and these are the things that you should see in a church. Now, again, we are not perfect as individuals, and we are not perfect as a church. These are the things we strive for. These are the things we go back to when things get stale. These are the things that refresh us and remind us of the essentials in our life. And here's the first one. They devoted themselves to the Word. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
These early believers were so thankful and they were so excited about their relationship with Christ. They divided, they, they, they devoted themselves to sound doctrine. They wanted to know what the apostles had to say about the teaching of Jesus. Now, to make sure people knew who these apostles were and to make certain that they kept the authority that they had. Look at verse uh, 43. Everyone was filled with the sense of awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now a sign is not an end in and of itself. It is a means to an end. It's a sign that points to something else. So these signs that were done by the apostles were done by God through them so that people would say these guys carry weight. These guys carry authority. I want to hear what they have to say. Now, what do you think the apostles would have been teaching these early believers? There was no New Testament. So the apostles were teaching these new believers two things. First, they were teaching them the Old Testament. They were showing how the Old Testament prepared people for Jesus Christ. They were going back into the Psalms that talked about Jesus as the foundation and cornerstone. Remember we talked last time that the church was built on Jesus. He said, I will build my church on me and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, they were going to Isaiah and talking about the suffering servant and how Jesus would have to die. They were going to the Old Testament and they were bringing that into the realization of who the Messiah was and that he was the completion of that Old Testament theology. Uh, theologians call this the messianic Christology. In the Old Testament, we always see that Jesus Christ is coming and the disciples say, He came. He's here. He's the one we worship. But there was something else they were teaching. They'd been with Jesus. And so they were teaching uh, his sermons. They were talking about the Beatitudes. They were, they, they were teaching um, his parables. They were teaching his illustrations. They were telling the stories he told when they, when they walked on the, on the road with him. And these, these stories they told became the inspired content of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these new believers wanted to be grounded in the Word. It is critical. If we are going to be a believer that makes an impact, we have to be grounded in the Word of God. We've just spent the last year working on a new uh, curriculum uh, called Living Grounded. We published it through uh, the Journey Ministry. It'll be here next week. Living Grounded, Embracing the Foundational Truths of the Christian Faith. There are 12 uh, chapters in this material, and it begins with seeing God's story in you. Every one of you here, God is at work in your life. And if you're a believer, you can look back and you can see that God has always been at work in your life. We start with the story of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, he uh, served Potiphar's wife, and, and then uh, she turned on him, and he was sent to prison. In prison, he lingered there for a while. And at the end, in Genesis chapter 50, after all this stuff's gone, and he's like second in command of the whole government, and he is uh, providing food for the children of Israel that had gone into uh, famine. That area had been into fa in famine, and they were hungry. He said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God what? Meant for good. 
And he worked in Joseph's life all along. And God's doing the same with you. And so the first chapter, you'll see that. Secondly, God's love letter. We want, to, we want you to, to have a grasp of why the Bible is authoritative and why we can believe it and why we can stake our lives on it. What it means to be a Christian. I think it is critical that every believer needs to be able to say, here's what it means to be a Christian. They need to say that clearly. Understanding grace, certainly we need that. Spiritual identity, uh, significance, security, acceptance, forgiveness, empowerment. Empowerment is the next chapter. That's the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And then some how-to chapters, how to study the Bible, how to know God's will, living together in Christian community, honoring God with your resources, sharing the story, owning your influence. Not really a traditional Bible study, but more of an interactive way. There are personal stories in there and We have an app called Erasmus. Scott's going to be telling you about that next week where you can point it right on a page and a video will come from the page to enhance the teaching. We are encouraging you to go through this material. Maybe you've been through it before. That's great. We believe it's new enough and it's fresh enough where everyone here needs to go through it. If you've been through it before, you need to refresh yourself on these foundational truths of the Christian faith. You can do it one-on-one. You can do it couple with couple. You can do it one-on-a-few. You can do it in a class. We have classes that are going to start October the 4th on Sunday mornings, October the 7th on a Wednesday night. We believe that you got to be grounded, and you have to know why you believe and what you believe. And parents, here's my challenge to you. We have written this material about fourth or fifth grade level. Just as the disciples took this truth and passed it on to a new generation, so you as parents need to pass the essential truths on to your children. You cannot depend on the youth group at the church to do that. We have your kids maybe two hours a week. And if you think everything can be taught in two hours a week, it ain't going to work. So we want to make sure that you use this material to take your kids through it. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Verses 4 through 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today must be on your heart. These are things you need to know. You You need to have it inside of you. They need to be on your heart because you cannot impart what you don't possess. Look at the next line. Impress them on what? Your children not the Christian school's job. It's not the youth group's job. It's not the neighbor's job. Impress them on these precious gifts that God has given to you. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's Moses saying? Make certain that you don't compartmentalize the teaching of Scripture. Here's what we do in church but this is not the way we do this at home. Here's what we do in church, but we don't do, this like this. We don't do it like this in business. Moses is saying everything should be threaded through your life. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, should be threaded in your life in such a way that whether you are sitting down or you're standing up, in Scripture that's called a merism, a figure of speech, extremes, sitting down, standing up, and everything in between. Make sure you are impressing these on your children. We have to be a church. Scott's going to talk about more, more about that uh, next week. Every healthy church is grounded in the Word. We have nothing to say unless it comes from the Word. And as believers, we have no foundation unless we are in the Word. So the first essential is the Word. The second essential is worship. 
These early believers were so thankful that they, and, and excited about their relationship with Jesus, they could not help but worship Him. Look at chapter 2, verse uh, 43. Everyone was filled with a sense of awe. That word awe in Greek is phobos. We get the word phobia from it. It means fear, but it's not a cowering fear. Here it means respect and honor and adoration. We love God. We love Jesus Christ. We have a respect for Him, a reverence for Him, and we want to worship Him in every area of our life. I think that we have, um, have, have shrunk or we have shrunken what do you say? Shrunk or shrunken? We've made it real small, right? <laughs> this word, worship. And so a lot of believers think that worship is coming to church and singing some songs, great songs, and even raising your hand. That's real worship. And if you really want to worship, you raise two hands, right? That's worship. That is a part of worship. Worship is what happens when you're interacting with your husband and wife at home or you're honoring God in that interaction. Worship is what happens when you're interacting with your children. Are you honoring God in your interaction? Worship is what happens when you're trying to get out of the parking lot here for a one o'clock Steelers game. Now we'll see if you're worshipers or not, right? <laughs> you see, worship has to be pervasive in all of our life. And these believers, they met to worship. Uh, look at verse uh, 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now that's interesting. They're Christians, they're following Jesus, but they're still meeting in the temple courts. Why is that? Early on, these Christians were part of Judaism. They would go to the temple, and that, at that time in Judaism, there were a lot of different sects. And so the Christians became, they weren't even called Christians yet, they became one of the sects. And they would meet in the temple courts. As long as you said there is one God and you follow the Jewish traditions, you're, the Jew, Jewish leader said that's okay. And so they met every day in the, the temple courts. They believed their newfound religion, they believed their newfound relationship with Christ was the completion of Judaism. Judaism perfected. Now their faith was complete, and so they continued to meet. Actually, they continued to do that until about 64 AD when Nero brought great persecution on them, and then to, to separate themselves uh, from these Christians, the Jews said, no longer, you're going to meet at the temple, and then the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. This first group, they weren't even called Christians. Anyone know what they were called? The first group were called the party of the Nazarenes. They were a party within the Jewish community who followed this man from Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene, party of the Nazarenes. Sometimes they were called the saints. Sometimes they were called the poor, not only economically, but poor in spirit. That sermon that Jesus taught, the Beatitudes, sometimes they were called disciples. And it wasn't called Christianity. What was it called? The way. They were followers of the way. And so they met in the temple courts, and then what they do? Look at the, the next part of the verse. After they met in the temple courts in a large group, 3,000 of them, I don't know if 3,000 showed up every week, probably not every day, but a large group would, would, would show up, and then they split up into smaller groups. 
they, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with, with sincere and, and glad hearts. They, they, they met together in these homes and they would pray together and they would eat together. People with large homes would invite groups in and in the homes, two things happened. They had what was called the agape meal or the love feast. There were these feasts in the Old Testament, right? So certainly you should have a feast for Jesus in the New Testament. And so they would have these meals together. And then at the end of the meal, they would break bread together. Luke calls it in Acts, breaking of bread. Paul later calls it the Lord's Supper. We often call it communion. We're going to do that today. But they never wanted to forget who Jesus was. That was part of their worship. There was another part of their worship. Look at 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and to prayer. Literally, the prayers. Some think uh, these, this refers to the, the Jewish prayers that they would go to the temple and pray, but certainly it would also include the prayers that they had for each other, uh, the fact that they were communicating with God. See, in a, in, in a healthy community, worship, all aspects of worship, is vibrant and it is pervasive. It's just not one little, one little slice of our life. It's the whole pie. We love God so much that we want to demonstrate what it looks like to love and serve Him to a watching world. And so there is a, a, a grounding in the Word. There is a life of worship. And then three, there is connection. These early believers were so thankful and excited about their new relationship with Jesus Christ, they devoted themselves to others who were devoted to Jesus. Community is found in uh, that word in chapter 2, verse 42, called fellowship. It's a rich Greek word, koinonia. It means an association involving close mutual relationships and involvement. And, and notice in these first verses, as we look at this first snapshot of the early church, the believers were together. Man, they, they were meeting together. They wanted, to, they wanted to meet for encouragement, for protection, for exhortation. They wanted to hear the word together, worship together, serve together. Look at the next verse. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread and ate together uh, in their homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. They did things together. Connection is critical in the Christian life. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. We talked about this last week, but you guys have seen those National Geographic things on TV, and who does a lion always go after? That gazelle that's alone. There's protection in the pack. Other people have your back. But it's dangerous to be alone. Now I want to ask you a question. If this was your last Sunday at the Bible Chapel, would anyone know it? Now you say, well, this is my first Sunday here, so that's not a fair question. You're right. <laughs> that's not fair. I get you. But if you've been coming for a while, and you would say, yeah, this is, this is my church. Maybe I'm not a member yet, but I'm on my way. 
If this was your last Sunday, would anybody know it? Would a small group of people know it? Would a friend know it? And if, and if you're saying, you know, I don't think anyone would know, you're in a dangerous spot. We're working hard at some of the shepherding things here, and we're trying to, to, to have a lot of things in place so that we can encourage people and shepherd well. We're going to stand before God one day as elders, and He's going to say, how'd you shepherd my church? And He's not going to be impressed with numbers. But we don't have any, there is, there is no process in place where we can track everybody. And at the end of the day, you've got to take some ownership. You've got to be involved in something where you are no, you cannot know everybody here. But you need to know someone and someone needs to know you. And if this was your last Sunday, there should be someone around you in your small group, huddle group, women's group, a place you serve, and they would say, where is so-and-so? I haven't seen them in a couple weeks. I'm calling them on the phone, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. You've got to be connected. Connection is critical, critical in the body of Christ. Okay, we're going to cut to the other campuses, and Tom and Dave and Zeb, you are on your own for the last two, and we're going to finish these two here at the South Hills campus. The next one is serve. Word, worship, connect, serve. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, this is not the socialism, nor is it the communism. You just put it, sell everything and put it in a pile, and people grab what they, what they want. That's not it at all. In fact, the verb sell is in the imperfect tense, meaning an action in process. What that means is it was something that continued to happen. So when a need arose, someone had a need, then someone would go sell something to meet that need, or they would sell their goods and services to meet that need. But the deal was they served each other. They realized they were in this together. Everyone had a responsibility. They served each other. In a healthy church, believers know what their gift is, and they are using that gift. That's, my another, that's another question. Do you know what your gift is? Every believer, if you're a believer, 1 Peter 4.10 says, Every believer has at least one gift and should use it to serve others. Do you know what your gift is and how are you using it? Do you know what your gift is and how are you using it? You can call any of our pastoral staff and we will meet with you. We have um, an evaluation, um, assessment to determine what your spiritual gift is, and then we'll plug you into a place to use it. But the ball is in your court. You've got to use your spiritual gift. We need you. One of the things that happens in a church like ours, when people come, people come, someone greets them at the door, people are on information desk, we have the kiosk out there with the information, you come in, worship looks like they have prepared and planned, and everything looks good, and so people walk away saying, well, they don't need me, they have all their bases covered. Wrong. We desperately need you. If there is a body part that's not working, what do you do? You go to the doctor to get it fixed. 
And when you're a body part and you are one, if you're a believer and you're part of the church and you're not doing anything, then it needs to get fixed. And you need to take a hard look in the mirror and say, what's my gift and how am I using it? We desperately need you in all kinds of ministries. We could use you in the special needs ministry. Children's ministry need about 15 more volunteers. We have opportunities in whatever your gift is. And it's just not teaching children. We get that. You may have another, you will have another gift and you can use it in other ways. There's a place here for you to serve. What's your gift and where are you serving? See, the early church got it. They knew they had to serve each other. It was a common practice in the Roman Empire to take babies, female babies, put them out in the fields and just expose them. There were no ultrasounds back then, so they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl until it was born, right? And um, if it was a girl, many times they would go take the baby, put it out in the fields just to let it die. Baby farmers, they were called, would come and pick up those little girls and raise them as prostitutes uh, or um, slaves. And so the church said, we can't let that happen. These little lives are precious. And so the church would go out and they would beat the baby farmers to the fields and they would bring those little girls back into the homes and they would raise them in the, in the fear and instruction of Jesus Christ. See, we are, we are unashamedly here at pro-life, but we can't just say that we're pro-life and not take another step. And so we've started a ministry called Embrace, Foster Care, because there are kids who are born who need a home. And maybe one of your gifts is to provide a home. I know many of you have, and it's some tremendous stories. We, we got a call this past week, uh, someone uh, who had gone through the Embrace uh, training Two and five year old at home just got a call that uh, in, uh, in a couple days we're bringing an eight, a three, and a one year old to your house. They only have the clothes on their back. So she called the chapel office. We got her in touch with Colin Helbig, uh, who heads up uh, the Embrace uh, service area. <clears throat> the word got out through social media, and in no time, those kids had everything they needed. The church responded. If people didn't have the beds or the clothes in their home, they went out and bought them because we wanted to make sure these kids knew when they came into that house that they were loved and cared for by the provisions that had been made. Now, that's when the church is working right. Yeah. And I love it when things like that happen where we don't have to have a ministry. We don't have to have a program. We don't have to put it in the bulletin and advertise it for three weeks because you know what? We have to say things for three weeks. Some of you say, why is he saying that again? Because we have to say it for three weeks so that everyone who comes to the church hears it because of sometimes the attendance isn't happening every week. So when we have a need we put it out, and we are asking you to be a part of the service here at our church. What's your gift? Are you using it? The last one, Word, Five Essentials, Word, Worship, Connect, Serve, Share. These early believers were so thankful. They were so excited about their relationship with Jesus. 
that they couldn't keep him to themselves. They had to tell others about him. Peter had just delivered a message where 3,000 people came to Christ. In the verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 5, 14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Inherent in that passage is what? People are telling people about Jesus Christ. People are going to work and they're telling others appropriately about this person who has changed their life. Parents are telling their kids and extended family about Jesus Christ. Family, friends, work associates, kids are going to school and saying, hey, I got to tell you about Jesus Christ. They are sharing the message of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you told someone about Jesus? I like to talk about peace, love, and little donuts. Those are cool. And we always like to tell you another place that's really cool to go eat. Steelers games, Pirates games. The most important thing doesn't get told, does it? When was the last time you told someone about Jesus? A healthy believer is sharing the message of Christ appropriately in relationship, confirmed by their life. Five essentials of a growing believer, five essentials of a healthy church. Word, worship, connect, serve, share. All right, from Acts chapter 2. Now again, Acts chapter 2 was an ideal portrait of the first community. It didn't always look like that. That's who we strive to be. That's where we go to refocus. That's where we go to refresh. But because we're a group of people, it doesn't always work right. The church in Acts didn't always work right. In just a couple chapters, service turned into favoritism. Some of the Jews with Greek backgrounds weren't getting served in the proper way. Generosity was tainted by pride and deceit. Just read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Connection was, was devastated by division and fighting and quarrels. Remember that agape meal that people had in their homes? Some people weren't eating for days so they could come and gorge themselves at the agape meals. Gluttony and getting drunk on the communion wine. The richness of fellowship led some to a familiarity that resulted in sexual immorality. You see, if you're disappointed in the church, you'll always have a reason to be disappointed in the church if you focus on people. If you want to be disappointed in the church, just focus on people. We will disappoint you every time. And guess what? You're going to disappoint us too. Congratulations. But when we focus on Jesus, everything else changes, doesn't it? He's the one who will never disappoint us. He's the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why we have to keep going back to these essentials. In the Word, what's God telling you? What's He telling us? Worshiping, pervasive in our life. Connection. Someone's got to know you're here. 
service, using your gift, telling others about Jesus Christ. And that's why we do communion. Because we always want to remind ourselves what Jesus has done. In communion, we do three things. We first remind ourselves what Jesus has done. This is for believers only. If you're not a believer here today, just let this pass. No one will see, no one will care. We have our own business we're doing with the Lord. And communion is saying, Lord, thank you, Jesus Christ, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Here, the, your, your body represented, your blood represented, your life blood represented, your body represented, your suffering, your death. Thank you for doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Second part of communion is we examine ourselves. So with the cup and the, uh, and the, and, and the bread in our hands, what are we saying? Lord, speak to me. Tell me where I'm messing up. Tell me where I'm off base. Show me something I said this past week that I go back and and rectify. Deal with me, the present. And then Paul says we proclaim the Lord's death until he what? Until he comes. And so we're saying, Lord, I look forward to seeing you face to face. I don't know if it's going to be through my death or your returning. But I know this, because, because of you, when I close my eyes in death, I can see you face to face. I pass from death to life. Or when you come back, I'll meet you in the clouds past, present, and future.